Hey, I'm Kimberly Hayes Damuga. And I'm Amanda Day. And you're listening to the first season of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever-evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. Full disclosure, we are Southern. You may hear a y'all. It happens. It totally happens, y'all. This season is brought to you by our generous sponsor, Grant Writing USA. Grant Writing USA delivers training programs across America that dramatically enhance performance in the areas of grant writing, grants management, and grant maker research. They have coached, trained, and consulted for nearly 15,000 top-ranked organizations and more than 25,000 individual achievers from every imaginable domain, leaders of government, philanthropists, academics, outstanding nonprofit managers, top-performing staffers, everyday heroes. Full disclosure, when we're not entertaining you, we hope, with our podcasting adventures, we are trainers for Grant Writing USA. At the end of this episode and throughout season one, we will be sure to let you know about the upcoming office at Grant Writing USA just for our listeners of Fundraising Heyday. Now, today's episode discusses the need for internal controls in order to prevent grant fraud. Mm, Serious. I think before we even jump into this episode, we need to talk about the importance of grant readiness because being prepared to handle money and prevent fraud is a big part of being ready to accept a grant award. And Amanda Day is just the expert to break it all down for you. Mm, Now I'm speaking the truth. She has years of real world experience in federal grant management and grant development to share. I know I'm going to learn something new today. Let's hope so. So I know this isn't very a very sexy topic, but it certainly is one that's very relevant. If you're going to get grant money, that's just the first step. And if you do find this a really sexy topic, just keep it to yourself. We don't that's want a private that. thing. We don't need to get up in that. Okay, I'm sorry. Go I on. love it. But anyway, internal controls, and you probably heard that phrase before. All that is is it's the policies and procedures, and just all the things that your organization has in place to ensure that you have the checks and balances to protect your grant funding, and not only just grant funding, but all your resources against fraud. And I just want to jump in there and say that when we're talking about fraud, there could be the things that you've read in the papers about people who willfully and deliberately misused grant funding or and other monies to, you know, buy a condo, buy a pony, buy a boat, whatever. But then there's also super well-meaning people who think that they're doing the right thing by spending the money in what they think is the best way possible, but has little or no relation to how the actual grant was meant to be spent, right? Absolutely. Fraud, it runs many a gamut. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. Um, Let's start off by talking about the, basically, we've got four categories here of internal controls, ways and things you can put into place to hopefully protect your resources. So the first one is that authorization and approval. So this is where you figure out those people in your organization. And by those people, I mean your finance, your accountants, your budget, your executive directors, your development officers, you as the grant person, your council or your board. These are the folks who have the decision-making responsibility, and you need to clearly define who, what, where, and when um, your financial transactions can 
can take place mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. money can be spent. So a few examples of that. First of all, every organization should have their yearly budget that should be approved by your board. And that sets forth what you're going to spend your money on. And that's a document you stick to typically. I mean, even a smaller nonprofit should have an official budget that they're following, just not flying by the seat of their pants. You're going to accomplish a lot more if you don't fly by the seat of your pants with this and just have an agreement, have an idea, even if it's looking, even if if you're a teeny tiny nonprofit, even if you're looking at what you did last year Mm -hmm. and thinking you might grow by 10% this year and just doing that, you know, it it doesn't have to be an elaborate multi-person office or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of software, but it does need to exist and you really ought to follow it and it'll help other people trust you, people that you might want to approach for giving you money to help you fulfill your mission. Another way you can do that is to track all your purchases from requests through payment. So what's your procurement policy? How do people within your organization, how can they go buy the things that they need? So, you know, we don't just want everybody willy nilly being able to go out and spend money, right? There should be some sort of approval process before they can spend, you know, especially things over a certain dollar amount. amount. Sure, sure. Um, And every, depending on where you are, that dollar amount is going to differ. For some places, anything over, you know, over 500 may need processes. From Mm -hmm. a larger organization, maybe it's more like the $2,000 mark. Anything over requires some serious Extra signatures or forms or whatever. Exactly. But you need to track that. Um, And then another thing is you need to clearly define and make your staff aware of who is allowed to authorize expenditures. So just so everybody understands, you know, if I need something, if I can't just go buy it, who do I get permission from? Is it my supervisor? Is it somebody in finance or the budget office? Like who's, what's the process? And you just want to make sure that everybody is clear of how that works. Now, a second form of that internal control process is your documentation and your record keeping. And this is how you're keeping up with everything you're doing, all of your expenses, all the activities, just ways to keep up with the stuff you're doing when it comes to grants. So Mm -hmm. one of those things is you may have a required invoice from your vendors or consultants. So when someone's doing work to you, they're providing goods and services, you need a detailed sheet that says, hey, here's what we gave you and here's what that cost is. That's the Mm -hmm. easiest way to show that. Another way is to require receipts for reimbursements over a set amount of money. Again, just keeping up with all of that documentation. And really, um, I know some organizations for smaller amounts they may not worry about, but when it comes to grant funds, you really need to have a receipt for every penny you spend. I mean, because it it is the money that you are spending for your organization, but technically, and in the eyes of the law, it is not your money to do with whatever you want. Absolutely. So Amanda's going to go through a lot more details about why, but I also just wanted to add, it's actually just good business practice. It's good generally accepted accounting practices. It's just a good way to um, keep your house in order. Absolutely. Um, Another thing, again, you would be following your own procurement policy, but sometimes when you're spending money too, it's not just, oh yeah, we've got a receipt and an invoice and we think they did the work, so let's pay it. But you may also be checking off against a purchase order or a contract. Mm -hmm. Um, And to make sure, you know, because you could have a contract, say you hire a grant consultant and you're contracting them to do $10,000 worth of work. As they invoice you, you want to make sure that doesn't creep over 10000 because if it does, then you 
you know, you might want to step back and go, wait a minute, this invoice is for more than we originally agreed upon. That's a problem. So you want to reference back to those types of official documents as and far as paying things. And you can also make sure that they're doing what they say they were going to do. Uh, that's a great thing, too. Yeah. So, And a big part of this, too, is that checks and balances. Mm-hmm. When it comes to paying bills, you never want one person in charge of the entire process. That's how you ensure things are done the correct way. So, you know, someone may approve the payment, then maybe somebody else is also approving and then maybe somebody else is cutting the check and maybe somebody else is signing the check. You just, you want to have multiple hands involved. So you're kind of checking on each other. Now, when you work for a big organization, that's pretty simple to do. You've got the staff. What do you do if you work for a small nonprofit? I mean, there are nonprofits that legit have one staff member, right? They have an executive director. They're they're nonprofits that are all volunteer run. So maybe the board takes on that, that function. If you have an executive director, who's also the chief bottle washer and sweeper-upper and everything else, then that's maybe something that a bookkeeper could work with this person on or the treasurer on the board or something like that so that you just don't have one person making all those kinds of financial transactions. It's it's just not sound business practice. And if that person is not on the up and up, which 99.9% of the time everybody is, but if they're not, that's an easy way to set up fraud, to set up embezzlement and other kinds of things that uh, are just really can destroy the organization and the mission and just keep it from functioning in the future. Um, A third aspect of uh, internal controls is that physical security. So, you know, we spend a lot of time with internal controls talking about taking care of the money, but that's not the only thing internal controls covers. You've got your computers and other financial assets and property, and even your staff. Those are assets, and you want to make sure, you know, if a grant fund is paying for someone to do work on a grant, they need to be doing that work on a grant. And so you've got to have checks and balances. Shocking. I know how how this works. So um, just a couple of examples of things to keep an eye on. So blank checks, you know, those need to be kept in a locked cabinet and should only be accessible by those who have the authority to potentially sign those checks. Another thing is when checks are removed, maybe you have more than one person signing off on the log. So it's not, again, not one person having access to things. Computers should be password protected. And I always tell people too, you know, as grant people, depending on who you are, you could be running a program through your Department of Public Health. Mm -hmm. It's quite possible you have all kinds of health data and information on, you know, young children and their parents and old folks and who knows, and that's private information. And so you just don't want that to be accessible by anybody who just happens to come in. It's private information, but it's also protected through HIPAA. I mean, there's federal governance around who has access and how that information is controlled. I worked at a, at a children's hospital and not only was it uh, physical information like blank checks, but also donor information and amounts and things. And so I just got in the habit of anytime I I got up from my desk to go anywhere, I would lock my computer screen. That was one of the things we were taught to do as sort of a layer of, of protection. Yep. Good, good call there. So um, some other things, again, is, you know, if you're dealing with cash and checks on a regular basis, you know, you want to be depositing that stuff on a daily basis, mm-hmm. not have it. The longer you have it sitting out and around, the higher the chance that it's, you know, going to be misplaced or things like that. I'll tell you, most of every agency I've worked at full time, you know, we always set it up if checks were the way that we were paid through grants was for those to come to our finance department. But occasionally, because I was the grants administrator, mm-hmm. they'd land on my desk and let me tell 
tell you, I am not a runner. I never have been. If you see me running, it's probably because zombies are chasing me. Um, <laughs> you better but, run with yes, them. Yes, run, run. But the only other time I moved really fast was when those checks landed on my desk because I wanted to make sure I immediately got those in the hands of the finance people so they could account for it and mm-hmm. deposit it or put it in our lock safe and that I just didn't want anything to happen to it. So be careful about those. And then our last piece of internal control is to have a, a means of detection. And what I mean by this is as much as possible, you want to establish a safety net to help detect fraud and help minimize its impact. So, you know, like Kimberly says, 99.9% of the people we're going to be working with, they want to do good. They're in their role because they want to help people and want to make a difference. But accidents and mistakes do happen. And then there are straight up, as we mentioned in our first podcast, there are some dodgy, dodgy. people dodgy, out there. That dodgy. So um, you've got to have steps in place to hopefully catch those folks, right? There have been also cases that I've read about where there have been super well-meaning people who have gotten in over their heads with personal debt. Maybe it's medical debt or a family member or gambling debt or whatever. And it's that sort of temptation has proven to be too much in many cases. So Absolutely. Yeah. So ways you can help prevent that. First of all, any documents, especially, you know, budget statements and, you know, invoices and checks, it needs to be reviewed by someone other than the person actually paying that bill. So again, having more than one set of eyes on things. It's also a good idea to train several people to perform essential duties. So you want to have, you know, kind of some job sharing sort of things going around. And in fact, I've heard that one of the best things, if you've got someone dealing with money, you want them to take at least a one week vacation every year. That's right. Because you want someone else to have to do their job because if they are hiding something, that's how you're going to catch them. And you, I mean, you hate to think of it that way, but it's just, these are lessons learned from ways people have gotten away with things they shouldn't have. So another option is to have a third party audit your financial statements and report them to your board when no staff is present. So you should have an audit every year. Like mm-hmm. if, especially if you want grant money, you need to have that outside auditing firm come in and check over things. And if you are a smaller entity, maybe a budget of less than 250000 affording a full-on financial audit by an accounting firm may not be in your financial wheelhouse, but many grant applications that I've looked at before have provisions for that. They want to see that you at least have your balance sheets and your cash flow statements and your profit and loss statements handled by a, a third party or at least and, and they're and available for review. So they're, again, it's Sort of, it's sort of different steps of the same dance, trying to, to, to keep everybody accountable. Yep. And that's another good point, too. If you are a small organization that has one staff, you know, maybe hiring a part-time or using a consultant, a consultant to come handle some of your um, accounting stuff for you, that helps bring in another person so the two of you can kind of balance things out. So this certainly is not an exhaustive list. You can take all kinds of trainings, including the grant management class from Grant Writing. USA to learn more about ways to help prevent fraud and how to put put those right steps and checklists and things in place for your own organization. Yes, ma'am. And if your eyes are beginning to roll gently back in your head at the <laughs> thoughts of all this, because what you really want to do is raise money and get the grants and, and feel good and do good, I feel you. But if you don't have your financial house in order, 
uh, you're not going to be able to do those things. So not Absolutely. only is this a general way to, to run a good business, this is not a how to run a good business podcast. This is how to help you do good and keep your butt out of jail for mismanagement <laughs> grants podcast episode. I don't look at an orange. No. Like you said, if you're good at grant management, which part of that is spending the money the right way and not losing it, you will continue to get more grants because that is Mm -hmm. one of the factors a lot of funders look at these days is how well did you do with that last rent grant I gave you? So it's like when you, well, I'm not a big fan of how the world works all the time, but it's like if you're trying to get a loan, it helps if you have good credit. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's just the same principle. Absolutely. Let's talk about the levels of fraud. So the point obviously is to reduce fraud, waste, and abuse. So we're going to talk about the different levels of fraud. So you certainly have embezzlement. Um, this is the theft of or misappropriation of funds that were placed in your trust. And so these are things you're trying to prevent, basically straight up stealing. And hopefully that's not going on your organization. But trust me, if you would Google grant fraud, you will find all kinds of examples. There was a large university. I'm not going to say where or when. Don't want to call out anybody. But they had a program director who had funding through um, federal and some statewide Mm -hmm. large foundations to do programs for their college students. Some great things they should have been doing. And program people were taking that money and buying things like jet skis and paid for a niece's wedding reception. Pretty sure that's not what the grant was for. I'm like, not thinking students benefited from that. I could be wrong. Not. Could be wrong. Yeah. So embezzlement uh, certainly is something we're trying to prevent by putting the right internal controls in place. Another thing we're trying to to prevent is false claims. Um, so this is when you're giving fraudulent information to your funder. Your um, you know, maybe you claim to be a 501c3, mm-hmm. so that makes you eligible for grants, but you're really not. That's fraud. Maybe you claimed you've spent money that you didn't. So you want to be careful about that. Um, that's why anytime you sign a document and send it on to your funder that you have done something, you better have done the thing. Um, <laughs> yes, very important to have done, done the, the thing. thing. Another thing is you've got to look out for bribery. You know, when you're trying to use grant monies, maybe to get an exchange of influence or favorable treatment in the future, that's whether you're using your grant funds or something or else. any funds. Yes, that's just not a good idea. You guys, um, we know that. You also have to worry about the mismanagement of funds. I think that, if I may just leap in, I think that is actually one of the most common ways that organizations can get tripped up when it comes to funding is that they are mismanaging and not even meaning to their grant funds. Oh, absolutely. I can think about where, you know, people are like, man, I I didn't even think about it. I really need X, Y, Z to make my program happen. I got a little extra money. I'll just buy it and it'll be fine because it's all for the good of the program. But depending on who your funder is, that could be really, really, really wrong because they may want you to only buy what's on your budget. Well, sure. If you if you got a grant to provide bulletproof vests for your police force in your city and then you decided, well, you got a really great deal on the vest, but now you need another police car and you've got some money left over and you've got a friend with a car dealership and a really good deal. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't just sort of take that money out of the grant for which you have already said you're going to spend the money on vests and you can't just turn around and buy a police car, even if you need one. That's just an example of a well-meaning but total example of mismanaging the fund. Absolutely. 
Um, and along that lines, another one is the theft of government property. So you've got to remember when you buy things with federal dollars, those things actually belong to the federal government. Even though you're buying it and you're using it for your use, it's still technically there. Even when your grant is over, they may still have some re rules and regulations on how you can and cannot use that equipment. When you're ready to get rid of that equipment, there are rules governing the you know how you do that. It, depending on the cost, you if you sell it, you may actually have to pay the federal government some of that money back. Wow. So yes, so grants, it's the gift that keeps on giving sometimes, <laughs> let me tell you. Or, or taking. Yes, that too. So just just know that with especially federal grants, lots more strings attached. So and there can be some strings attached like that with private funding, foundations, and corporate funding, but it really it really varies from grant to grant. So keep those grant agreements and have those conversations with your funder, particularly around equipment and things like that. It can vary. Absolutely. Now. Obviously, we want to take good care of our money because we want to be good stewards of the gifts and the grants that are given to us. But just know that if you don't do well with that money, meaning, and I'm not saying you have a little minor mishap, usually when bad things happen, it's because you've done something pretty serious with a big chunk of change. Or someone who is managing the grant did something Absolutely. It doesn't have to be you. Yes. So the impact of fraud, when it does happen, some of the consequences you or your organization may face. First of all, there's this thing called the suspension and debarment list. And that's not a nightclub. That's actually a <laughs> list. That's not a list you want to be on. That's not a no, thing. It's I call not it a the thing naughty for... list. Um, if you ever visit SAM.gov, which stands for the System of Award Management, there's lots of great stuff on there. But one of the things is... I never knew that's what that stood for. Thank you. SAM is SAM. Yes. Yes, System of Award Management. Who Thank knew? you. But anyway, so um, they have a suspension and debarment list. And this is the list um, organizations, nonprofits, local governments, contractors, even individuals can be on this. And this is just where you or your organization has done something so heinous, the feds are like, you know what? For the next five years, 10 years, potentially forever, they may say your agency is not allowed to have anything to do with federal money, meaning you would not be able to apply for federal grants. If you were an individual that writes grants, you would not be able to write a federal grant. So this is this is something serious. You do not want to be on that suspended and debarment list. Um, if you're not sure, go check it out today. It has a nice <laughs> little search feature. You can plug in your name, your organization's name. Learn something new. I know. What you want when they pop up, when you find your organization on there, it should have that green box next to it. That means you're good to go. If you've got the reddish purple box... You've been suspended. Mm. Um, another um, aspect of that is negative publicity. You know, if you mishandle one grant, chances are that's going to end up being in the paper and other funders are going to know, even if it's not in the paper, I think funders do talk to one another. So you don't want that negative publicity getting out about your organization. That could lead to other devastating consequences. In the same vein, that could also damage your reputation. Say, you know, your donors hear that you mishandled a grant. They may suddenly think twice about donating, you know, to your organization. Well, sure, because they want to donate to the places and people that they know are going to be good stewards of their money. Absolutely. Another consequence may be the repayment of funds. You oh, know, you, can no. you Can you imagine if you've bought all of this stuff, you've hired people, you've paid all this money, and then the funder comes back and says, yeah, you did that so poorly that we're going to want our money back. And what happens if you may not even have that money because yes. you spent it? Not a yes. good thing. Good things will not come of that conversation. Absolutely. So a result of all of this is probably going to be a reduction in services provided. <laughs> yes. 
think. Yeah, if you have to pay money back, that means you're going to have to, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul, and you're not going to be able to do all of the fabulous robbing, things. Robbing, also a bad thing. They can send <laughs> totally. You to jail. Just, yes. We're just compounding this, compounding this. <laughs> so that's something you don't want. And then, of course, tied into that is just the financial devastation. If you do have to pay back a grant, I mean, I'm guessing most of us don't just have a little million dollar nest egg in our organization for a rainy day fund in case grants go awry. Um, no. No. No, no. So, you know, where is that? that that's can help hurt your budget big time. Or maybe you want to save that money for an actual rainy day versus, hey, you didn't know what you were doing yes, day, which is what we're talking up. about here. Another, you know, and this is certainly going to be serious, but people have gone to jail for stealing grant funds. Dun, dun, dun. Um, the program lady I mentioned before that worked for a large university that bought, you know, her niece's wedding reception and jet skis and she bought football season tickets oh. to a big school. Yeah. She's she's in jail and mm-hmm. I think is, was sentenced to about six years in jail for her part in stealing. And I bet orange is not her color either. Probably mm-hmm. not. So, mm-hmm. and trust me. And then last but not least, you don't want to be that case study that people talk about in grant classes for years to come. Like this is not how you don't do it. That's what you don't want your organization to be known for. And you don't want to listen to a podcast one day and realize that we're talking about you <laughs> in a bad way. Ooh. Yeah, that just, it it would not be good in any way, shape, or form. So hopefully where you work, everybody understands why grant rules are in place and those kinds of things. But I'm telling you, as a grant person, a big part of your job is going to be educating those around you about what you can and cannot do with grant funds. And there are going to be times when somebody's like, hey, I want to do this. And you have to be the jerk and tell them no. And not that you want to use scare tactics, but these are helpful things, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's no, I'm not being a jerk. It's I'm not letting you do this because I don't want us to go to prison. I don't want our agency to be suspended. I don't want us to lose the money we already have. So let's go about handling things the right way. Because at the end of the day, I think uh, the best thing you can do is talk to those you are interacting with your program people. I always ask them, I'm like, where do you want to get because trust me, there is a exactly. right and legal way to get us there. So let us let me help you get to that point so that we are not making mistakes and ending up with some sort of fraud or those kinds of things. Or so orange jumpsuits. Orange even. jumpsuits. Yep. That's never want orange jumpsuits. So Great were... TV show, bad fashion look. <laughs> so internal controls, good. Orange jumpsuits, bad. So Amanda... Thanks. Again, I have learned something from you. I learned so I learned from you all the time, but today was oh, especially informative. And I hope that you, the listeners, have learned something too. Again, we'd like to thank our season one sponsor, Grant Writing USA. If you're interested in learning more about grant writing and grant management, visit their website at grantwritingusa.com and check out their two-day courses taught in all 50 states. Now stay tuned for our upcoming episode. Next time around, we are talking about Stephen King's fabulous memoir on writing. Ooh, scary kids. I know. You don't want to miss it. Remember, there is no specific college degree in grant writing or fundraising, but there are a lot of good people with experience to share, training programs, and other ways to learn. We'd love for this podcast to be one of your favorite ways to learn. Thanks. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.